Welcome to God Pods, Faith Conversations from Boston College's Church in the 21st Century Center. Good afternoon. Welcome. Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Karen Kiefer, and I'm the Associate Director at the Church in the 21st Century Center, and so happy uh, to meet your acquaintance here this afternoon. Um, how wonderful that we all get to gather together during this Easter season to celebrate the Women's Series event and also to celebrate friendship. Um, what you might not know is our theme for the semester um, is friendship. And we offered you a gift of a magazine um, at each one of your seats. Um, some, of you, some of you probably have received the magazine in the mail. Um, if, in fact, you've already received it and memorized it, um, we ask you to offer it to a friend and spread the resource. We actually print up over 185,000 magazines and send them out um, to our alums and all over the world. Um, so we ask that you continue to share this resource. Um, this issue is so special because think about it. Think about how many friends you've met through Boston College. Think about how many friends maybe you're with today. The power of friendship, the power of God working in those friendships. Such an amazing gift and such an amazing sign of God working in our lives. Speaking of friendship, um, I'd like to thank some of the sponsors um, of today's event. Uh, first of all, uh, Katie Dalton and her team at the Women's Center. Um, we have Barbara Quinn, um, who heads up the women's group over at the School of Theology and Ministry. Diane Carey, um, who actually works with the Council for Women at Boston College. Um, and so many other people um, on campus and also our alums that have given their ideas and given their voices to this particular series. So we thank you for that. Um, we're so excited to have a wonderful friend of Boston College and a wonderful friend of Father Monin's. We were just talking this afternoon how much we're missing Father Monin. Um, but we do have the gift of Victoria Reggie Kennedy here this afternoon. Um, you also have Vicki's bio on your chair, so I'm not going to spend the next 10 minutes talking to you about all that she's accomplished. But let me just give you a little bit of the highlights. Victoria Reggie Kennedy is an accomplished attorney and nonprofit leader. She is president of the board and co-founder of the Edward M. Kennedy Institute for the United States Senate, a nonpartisan nonprofit organization in Boston that educates the public about the unique role of the United States Senate in our democracy. In addition to her advocacy for civic engagement and civil disclosure, Vicki is a champion for arts education and outreach to underserved communities. She has been a leading voice for the empowerment of women and girls in our society. No surprise, a magna cum laude graduate of Newcomb College at Tulane University, Vicki also earned her law degree at the Tulane University of Law. She has been awarded eight honorary doctoral degrees, proudly one from Boston College Law School, and she was the commencement speaker in 2012. And what a speech. 
go to YouTube. Tonight, we welcome her back to Boston College. We thank her for her generosity and her spirit and for being such a special friend. Now, speaking of friends, I get to hand the program over to my friend and fearless leader, Tom Groom, who is the director of the Church in the 21st Century Center. So Tom, take it away. Thank you, thank you, Karen, thank you. Good, good evening, everybody, and we're delighted to welcome you. I add my words of welcome to Karen's, and particularly to, to uh, welcome Victoria Reggie Kennedy, who I will take the liberty of calling Vicky for the evening. And this has been a dream of mine since I became director of the Church in the 21st Century Center to invite Vicky for an evening of conversation. And we'll approach it as a conversation, or we might, in my old Irish culture, we'd call it a fireside chat. <laughs> and uh, so we'll, we'll, we we'll ramp. We could build a little fire yeah, right yeah, now. We I could think. build a little fire here, and maybe we will before the night is out. You never know. Um, so we'll ramble along for about a half hour or so in chat, and then uh, we'll open it to conversation with yourself. Those of you who are familiar with the pattern will know the drill well, and uh, we'll have opportunity for conversation. You'll have opportunity for conversation with Vicky as well. So uh, wonderful to be here, and without further ado, Vicky, um, growing up in, in a place that I used to call New Orleans, and then I learned to pronounce as Nolans, um, you were, you were ensconced in a deeply Catholic family and culture there. Um, tell us about those original years. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, all of you, for being here. Um, I know everybody could be someplace else th this evening, on, maybe in front of a warm fire, and it's wonderful to be here to, to chat with you. Thank you for asking me to be here. Karen, thank you for the wonderful uh, remarks. Thank you for your leadership. Before I say another word, and I promise I'll get to the answer, it is so wonderful for me to be here at Boston College, and I see my friend Father Monin's picture hanging there on the wall, so I feel like every time I came, I said this to Tom and Karen earlier, every time I was on campus, Father Monin was there uh, for so many years, so it's very, if he'd be in the audience in a little chair back there being unobtrusive if I was speaking about something, so it really is, uh, it's very special to be here. I'm also a uh, mother of a Boston College alumnus, so this place is really in our family. We're part of the Boston College family, so thank you for letting me be here. Um, I did. I'll tell you a little bit about growing up in Louisiana. I, um, I grew up in a little town west of New Orleans, kind of in the heart of Cajun country. I am the granddaughter of Lebanese immigrants on both sides, and I come from a family that was so deeply religious that I don't think we thought about being religious. It's just like, you know, who we were. It was like I was female, I was Catholic. I was from Louisiana, I was Catholic. Um, I was a Democrat, I was Catholic. I mean, it was just all part of what my identity was. It's part of what our identity was. I was one, my grandparents, when they built their home in my little town in Crowley, Louisiana, built it a block from church so that my grandmother, and especially my grandmother, she was widowed young, but she would go to mass every morning. And it was just, again, part of the, part of the life we led. I, I was one of six children, but I think of it as being really one of 17 grandchildren because our entire lives were focused on our family and our church and that, that experience. I went to Catholic school for all of, from kindergarten through 12th grade, um, and 
our entire, I, I, I can't say this enough, our experience was of being Catholic. I watched growing up people who lived their faith, and it was very moving to me. Again, it wasn't that they wore it on their sleeve. They weren't talking in a way that was off-putting to anyone. It was a very inclusive faith, but it was a faith of volunteerism. It was a faith of being involved in our church community, but being involved in our community writ large. Um, I'll go to my grandmother, Victoria Reggie, for whom I was named. I think she was an enormous influence in my faith journey. Um, we're talking about, you think about friends, and I saw her reach out to people. The first visit I ever went on when someone lost a family member, I was six years old, and I was with Mama Vic, that's what we called her. Everyone in town called her that. And she took me and taught me how you reach out to friends when they've had a loss. I was six years old. What a lesson. She said, you roast a chicken. <laughs> it was all, and to this day, if someone has a problem, I roast a chicken. Um, but you roast a chicken, and you go, and you bring food. Uh, she liked to bring potato salad, too, I just want you to know. And, and you visit, and you don't stay too long, but you reach out to friends, and you let them know you care. But what a what a lesson! And watching her, a woman who had not didn't have financial means, but she had a heart of gold. She volunteered at the hospital. She was part of St. Vincent de Paul Society. She volunteered for the Ladies Altar Society. She reached out to the community in so many ways. She and later years, my, with my parents, they they started a neighborhood soup kitchen when the economy went down in our area. They said, no questions asked. We just have people who are cooking. I mean, that's the, that's the culture that I came from. And I think it influenced me in ways that are deeper than I knew at the time. Sure, sure. You know, it's lovely to hear you talk about your grandmother that way as a friend, because there's a lovely essay in this issue of C21 Resources, uh, one of our students reflecting on one of her best friends, her grandmother. I, I, so it's just delightful. Those wonderful values, Vicki, that were there at the beginning and so well embedded and implanted in you by that wonderful family and context, push them on into your, into your adult life. Uh, you've been a stalwart defender of all kinds of human rights, affordable health care, preserving African-American culture, uh, art for communities where, that are underserved. So many of the causes you've taken on in life correlate those origins, those roots, those seeds uh, on into your social justice work in adulthood. Again, I'm going to reflect back on my grandmother for just a minute, and I think this is something that was so imbued in me. There was um, my grandmother let, there were hobos. Remember hobos? People were just kind of itinerants. We, there was a, a railroad track that went by. Sure. And the hobos knew that they could go to my grandmother's house <laughs> because she would always give them a sandwich and a glass of milk, or hot food if she had it cooking at the time, but always a glass of milk because milk was nutritious. And I asked her, I said, Mama Vic, why do you do that? I mean, you don't know who these people are. You, she said, Vicky. They could be Jesus. And it just, it, it struck me as a child. And she said, just remember what the Lord said, what you do to the least of these. And she said, these are people in need, and they've come here. And 
that stayed with me my whole life. And I think it's part, my father and mother were very involved in our community. My father was a, was a judge. He was deeply involved in, in the life of our state and national politics as well. My mother was very involved in, uh, all in, in activities. We were six kids, so a lot of them had to do with us. She was head of the PTA and but was involved in, the, in just beautifying our community, reaching out to people. And so it's just the way I was brought up. So that if you're interested in something, make a difference. It was always about how can you make a difference. So to go through different things that I've been involved in, to me it's just a natural evolution of being interested in the world, worrying about problems, and trying to see how I could make a difference. Sure. And you have to take those works of compassion and bring them on without leaving them behind bring them on into the works of social justice and, and uh, the public realm of society, which you've, done, which you've done so well. I feel like we have an obligation. Sure, no, it's I feel mandate. strongly about that, yes, that we have no. an obligation. And I always say it'll be interesting at the final judgment, let's hope that God will be addressing us and say, we'll not say, Vicki, there was a hungry person one time and you fed them, but rather I was hungry. No. You gave me to eat, I was thirsty, and so on. So that lovely sense of seeing Jesus seeing in Jesus. the poor that your grandmother taught you, she taught you well. How about the tough times, the, the times that we all have in life when uh, our faith has to come to the fore uh, to sustain us? You have a long us. time. <laughs> <laughs> to, to motivate <laughs> us, sustain so us. I mean, to, to I, mean I, I don't think you could live life and not have no, these indeed. moments. Um, my father was a great um, intellectual. And he believed that you're supposed to work your way through the tough times, and it was always fine to doubt. My mother, not so much, don't doubt. She came from a tradition that you just accepted what was told. But my father was, he said, if you doubt, if, when you have questions, that's good, God gave you this brain, then do something about it. Think about it. Uh, read about it inform yourself. He said, don't be a person who complains about the church or about what's not happening in society and sit on the sidelines. He said, that's not acceptable. Questioning, good, good. because it gets you to a place. And there have been moments in my life where I have been furious with the church. And I mean, it's more the institutional church, furious with the church. But I just try to work my way through it. But not with your faith, but, but not furious at your faith. Not furious not furious at, at my faith because for some reason. It's what sustained you. It's it it well it sustained me, but for some reason it was a different thing. Like I can be angry with the president, but I love my country. It's the same thing. I can be angry with something that the institutional church is doing, but I love my faith, and it sustains me. Um. Do you want me to give you time? Yeah, please. Give no, us I will. I mean, I, I'm, I'll, I, I, I'll give a, a couple, and then I'll give the one that I think was most. Um, well, I'll give this one. When um, give I us, had a give very- Give us both. Give us both. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, there are more than two. Um, but uh, I would say that one of the most profound uh, difficulties that I had was in the wake of the child sex abuse crisis. I was so angry at the church. I was angry at the response. I was angry that it happened. 
I was angry that people could care so little, it seemed to me, about children. Um, it was very difficult. I, I went to lectures. I was so happy when the Church of the 21st Century started yes. here. It was just such a fabulous, okay, maybe we're going to have an airing uh, of what this issue is. And I remembered, I talked to my father, was still living then, and I said to him, you know, I, this is just, I'm so angry. And he said, well, what are you doing about it? You know, and I, I um, one of the things I did about it was I decided to do something I had never successfully done before. I made my nine First Fridays. It was I, I, like as an act of just conscious, okay, I'm going to try to keep doing this, and this is important to me. Making nine First Fridays, I don't know, maybe you've all made it. It's hard <laughs> because I'd be places where there weren't even masses because of where, so you'd, but there would be a First Friday service somewhere. And my, my, my late husband, Teddy, was unbelievable. He found wherever we were, it's First Friday and it's over here. I mean, he was fantastic <laughs> about it. He had made his nine First Fridays and 10 First Saturdays when he was a child, but um, he, was, he was helping me to kind of get there. And, but I also felt that women didn't have a voice, and that bothered me a lot in the church. And I, I met with a lot of friends um, to talk about this a lot. How can we as women uh, be involved? How can we as women make a difference? Who's going to listen to us? Um, my sister-in-law, Eunice Shriver, was an unbelievable friend and ally um, in all this, a woman of deep faith herself, but she would, she saw my pain. And so she would bring people together. I mean, how, what an act of love this is for me to talk to. Interesting thinkers or, uh, I remember she brought Sister Joan Chittister to come to dinner. She said, I've invited her to your house for dinner. <laughs> that was good, we had better food. <laughs> she wasn't so interested in food, we definitely were. Um, and just to talk about what was on my mind and how do you kind of reconcile having, being a person of faith with what we were seeing in the world and what was happening in the church. So I, I would say that was one of the most um, profound ones. I'd say two, two others. One, I had a very, very hard time with the role the church took. And I'm, this is not going to be at all about politics, but it was for me to, against John Kerry and his election. I, I thought that was so short-sighted that we had a Catholic nominee for president again, and the Catholic Church didn't support him. And, and that really ripped my guts out. It, and I, I couldn't go to mass. I, I, that's a really, I just, I just didn't want to go. I was angry and didn't want to go. And um, so my dear husband, Ted, he was so wonderful in this way. He'd say to me, well, um, I'm going, we were in Washington at the time, I'm going down to Georgetown to the chapel at the college. <laughs> I mean, when did he ever go? I mean, we, that wasn't our parish or anything. And he said, um, I'm just going to go listen to the Jesuits at, at, you know, at Mass today. Um, you sure you don't want to come? And I said, well, of course I'm not going to let him go by himself. And so this, it just sort of, you know, got me back sort of um, on track.
Isn't that wonderful? It was, um, it was, pre it was pretty yeah, wonderful. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. And according to my mother, I mean, you're assured of heaven anyway, but having done the nine first Fridays, you definitely get I to heaven. I tell you, this is very exciting. <laughs> it doesn't matter what happens between now and then. You're, you're on your way. That's marvelous. Um, talk on maybe about your friendship and our, the theme of our resources is, is faith and friendship. And obviously both came together for you. Uh, and for Ted, your beloved, our beloved Ted, um, came together in a unique way in that relationship. So as comfortable. Yes, no, I mean, I think that. we both came from large Catholic families and that was a commonality that we had, but it wasn't something that we discussed at the beginning. I mean, we're dating, we're falling in love. We weren't sitting here saying, oh, isn't it great that we're both Catholic? <laughs> But, <laughs> but although it was, although it, was. it although Absolutely. although actually it really was, yeah, and I, I mean that very sincerely, because the common way that we were brought up, the 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 things that we understood together, had an incredible impact on the power and closeness that we had in our relationship. Um, he was which I think a lot of people don't really know, and if I could just say this, Please. he was a man of very, very deep faith. And uh, his mother uh, raised him that way, especially, and his father was a man of faith, but it was really his mother, Rose, who was, was a, the person who, she felt that it was her job to instill faith and religion in her kids. And it really stayed with Teddy. And I can remember on our honeymoon, we were in Vermont, and it just, it just for some reason, there was a visiting priest from Poland, and he didn't speak English. And there was the local priest who didn't speak Polish, so they decided that they were gonna have a Latin mass. So here we are at a Latin mass, but neither of them, they were too young, and they didn't remember the Latin mass, so they were trying to do it. And Teddy said, oh no, they need help. So he, as an old altar boy, he would like prompt them throughout mass as to what the Latin was. At Conspiracy 220. Well, exactly. I thought that was the bishop's phone number at Conspiracy 220. That's what we thought as kids. Um, but he, so he prompted them. And then they needed, uh, then there was no altar boy. And he just stood up and went and, you know, washed their hands and, you know, did the, the altar boy duties, which he did as people on Cape Cod would tell you, and also in Boston, every time there was no altar boy, bing, he'd get up. And, <laughs> and I said to him, I said, why do you do that? He said, well, you have the priest needs help. I mean, that's the way I was brought up. It just never dawned on him to be any other way. And I think, I think just that sense of faith that inspired his work you know, the Beatitudes, he said, was the you know, inspiring thing for him. But more than that, it was what it meant to our relationship. I remember, okay, now I'll just give you all the scoop. Uh, I remember, uh, I, I'm sure no one here has ever had an argument with their spouse, but I can remember <laughs> having a pretty, uh, an argument, and I don't remember what it was about. Uh, but it must have been kind of a big argument. But, but, and why I don't remember it is because I don't know. It must not have really been that important, but it seemed it at the time. And it was a weekday. I remember that because the next morning, uh, Teddy called me from the office, uh, late morning. He said, can you get over here for noon mass? Uh, we're going on the Capitol Hill. I said, okay. I don't think I was wanting to talk to him, but I said, okay. 
and we're sitting at mass, and then you have the sign of peace. Good. Uh, How can you be <laughs> angry when he, you know, sign of peace, all apologies, and it was all gone. Wonderful. Um, it was just, uh, it was really, and I realized then, I think maybe that's the first time I realized that our faith was important in our relationship Your friendship. in that way, and for our, yeah. our communication and understanding and, and friendship. Yeah, it was love that did it. And if it's not too painful, I mean, you are heroic, and I know such a tremendously uh, sacramental presence to his life um, in nursing him and accompanying him into eternity. Uh, reflections on that and how you One of the greatest faith. privileges of my life. Pardon? Really. It was one of the greatest privileges of my life was to be with him on that last journey. Um, the first thing he did when he got out of the hospital after going to home and the first outing that he made was here to see Father Monin. The first thing he did was spiritual house in order. Let's just, let's, came here Boston College to see Father Monin. Isn't that, isn't that quite yeah. extraordinary? I mean, well, it's, it's, it was a wise move. It, it, well, it was a comforting move, sure. a comforting move to him. And I think the role that uh, faith played during that period of time in a very powerful way, I would say, especially for him, it was, um, it was harder for me, to be honest. It, I wasn't angry with the church. I wasn't angry with God. I just, was, I just didn't have the same. I was thrilled to be with priests because we had priests around a lot. Um, we had, you know, we're at mass all the time. I was happy to do that. But external praying I found hard. Um, for some, I think it was just a difficult time. But I prayed not in words, but maybe in action. Maybe by just doing and, and, and being able to take care of him. And, um, sure. and he took care of me too, I mean, during that time. Took care of the whole family and is during still that time. And still taking care of you. Yeah, yeah. no question about yeah. it. See, that I have man's best friend is here, and that's that little doggy over there. That's my dog. That's why the dog is yeah. here. <laughs> and that dog was Teddy's request when he got sick. He said, we had two dogs already, by the way, at that time. And he said, I want a puppy. <laughs> um, and I mean, that's what everyone needs is a third dog that's a puppy when their husband is critically ill. Um, and I said, sure, if he wanted a condor, I would have gotten a condor, you know, so whatever you want, you can have. And um, I think he knew that I needed that dog. The other dogs were older, but he knew that this dog would be with me for a long time, and so it's, his name is Captain's Courageous. Captain. Um, but he's not very <laughs> courageous. <laughs> his name is Cappy. We call him Cappy. What a wonderful story. That's marvelous. He must have had sense that, yeah, you would need the dog. I think he knew Isn't I'd need the dog. Absolutely. Let's, let's bring it back to our beloved church for a moment. Um, it, we, with this lecture series, once each semester we have women's voices talking about issues like we've been talking now of matters of faith and public public life and so on. But um, what are some of your best hopes? And, uh, you know, there's no censor here at all, but some of your best hopes for our beloved church as it moves forward, carrying the, in, in, in earthen vessels uh, this rich faith of ours, and it is in earthen vessels, and yet it's a rich faith. 
So attending to the quality of the church and the church's structures is an integral part and imperative of our faith and why we, because of our love for and cherishing of our faith is why we care for the church. So in that faith, that deep faith that has brought you throughout your life, um, how do you look to, the, how do you care for the church at this point and what are your hopes for us? I have to say I, I find great hope and promise in the leadership of Pope Francis. Um, I think he's, a, he, He's not a perfect man, but he's a. Thank but God. He's a, thank God, yes, he's a man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a human, and but he is, I think, uh, uh, such a refreshing, loving presence, and um, I find great encouragement and hope that he has opened up the church in ways that I feared might be closed forever. I mean, I don't see us having fights about whether people can accept, take communion or not. I don't see us having the same kind of fights about exclusion. I, th I feel that he's more um, inclusive. A mercy. Mercy, yeah. a very important word, mercy. But I think, to be honest, that we're missing one big thing that needs to happen for the church to be um, whole in my mind and that's to not exclude uh, an entire gender from the clergy. I'm so hesitant to say that because Teddy actually said that once and the cardinal who shall remain nameless said that, said that his soul was in jeopardy for thinking that women should be priests, for thinking it. <laughs> So he said this publicly, or he, he no, no, communicated no, no, no. with Teddy. Communicated and privately wrote it actually. So um, it, there is evidence. <laughs> um, it, it was such a shock that you can't even think it. Um, but I figure I'll be bold and more than think it, I'll say it. I, I, I just think it. that we've got wonderful women who. Um, and I think that Jesus was inclusive. I mean, the, certainly the Jesus I know sure. and have studied and read about and believe in was inclusive, and I'd Absolutely. like to see. I'd like to see. And I also think, if I could say, that we wouldn't have some of the problems that we had had women been there and in charge and, and having a voice at the table. Yeah. I feel that very, very strongly. Yes, and of course, as Jesus was inclusive, radically inclusive, had women in the inner circle of his disciples. It's very clear, you know, that it says in, in all three synoptics that those women at the foot of the cross yes. had come up from Galilee with him, which if you take John's chronology, that he was, they were with him for three years as part of his, his traveling companions. Hey, and, this time, I worry about the old message and, and what it means for our young people and keeping our children and their children in the faith. That's a deep worry to me. I mean, a very deep worry. Yes. Um, because for most of my, my, my children are in their 30s, but for most of their lives, the church told them uh, that their gay friends were bad, that women couldn't have a role. They heard no, 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 no. And, and in this changing world of uh, openness and instant communication and, and you're, when you're teaching your children about friends and loving everybody to hear the church that you love seem to be giving a different message it was very 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 painful for them um, and so I worry about what it means sure. uh, long term because they didn't I don't mean just my children I mean all you know m most young people didn't grow up the way 
we did. I mean, they didn't grow up where the church was your social life. It was your, you know, it was their, it was your every life. It's just, it's different. And and I grew up hearing about love sure. and caring for people, and they grew up hearing about exclusion, uh, not care, cutting people off, preventing them from taking the sacraments. They even had to live with a bishop in uh, Worcester saying that about me. Um, and it was devastating. Sure. I was supposed to speak at a school um, in, uh, in the Worcester Diocese, which he had, I thought, approved. I was, and, and he came out publicly and said I wasn't a, a good example and I couldn't um, speak at the school. That's two weeks later I spoke at, the, at Boston College mm -hmm. It was a wonderful thing. I mean, it was okay for Cardinal O'Malley, and it was okay for the, you know, every, but it wasn't in Worcester. And my children had a very, very difficult time, and I think uh, their friends had a very, very difficult sure. time. And understandably, and I mean, we all struggle with our, with our children. You know, I have a 17-year-old that, uh, this expert in religious education is failing miserably <laughs> him at the moment. He's using a textbook that I wrote, and he still gets a poor grade in theology. Uh, <laughs> So it, it's, uh, and I, I love your comment about Pope Francis and the humanity of him. You know, he made such a mistake in Chile. Yes. And yet to come out and say, oh, I was terribly wrong. Yes. Please forgive me. It's so refreshing in a, in a pope. We haven't seen that in a I long think time. it's refreshing in everyone. It is, but especially in a pope. Mistake, but especially the but pope. But especially in a pope. Vicki, anything else we could, you'd like to say to us or a thought or reflection? Well, uh, I, just only that it's, it's, you know, I think I feel blessed to have my faith, but I think I'm not unique in that. I think that it's been um, the sustaining um, thing for so many. Teddy wrote in his book, True Compass, that for him, faith was like breathing. It was that natural and that essential. And I think I just didn't say I feel the same way. Yes. Um, as... Um, but it's not an easy journey. No, it's not, not an easy journey at all. I found great comfort in, in now Saint Teresa of Calcutta. But what she said and the and the and the questioning and the sure, angst grappling. while she was still serving, just the, the the people who were the poorest of the poor and the sickest of the sick, and she was still questioning and in doubt, wondering, radical in doubt. doubt all her life. I yeah. found that to be sure. Um, actually comforting. Of course. Comforting and sort of uh, an encouragement and inspiration to kind of keep going. Wow, that's wonderful. And you're an encouragement and an inspiration to all of us. And uh, Thank you. we're deeply grateful. Thank you. Um, we, we promised Vicki we'd chat for about 35, about 35 minutes or so, and I think we're just on the button. Um, let me invite us into a moment of quiet. Um, yeah, contemplation, meditation. Uh, rumination, whatever. Your own thoughts as you sit and listen to this wonderful uh, woman and witness to our faith. Uh, difficult times, great times, ongoing commitments, demands, challenges. Uh, C21 will never run out of things to do for sure. We always have things that need to be reformed and renewed in our church. But just as you think about your own faith and take to heart what Vicki has been sharing with us, what speaks to you? What are you hearing uh, from God's own spirit? 
speaking to you. For more Catholic Faith resources, follow us at bc.edu backslash c21 or via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. <laughs>